You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Welcome to another episode of Digital Noise, the show where we cover all the home releases that they'll actually deign to send us anyway. Um, we, we ask for them all. We get like 60% of them. We'll take what we can. We will. Uh, that, of course, is the lovely dulcet tones of Aaron that you're hearing. We'll be Hello. joining you this week. Um, we have a sizable stack of movies to go through this time. And they're good, too. It's a good This is good one mix. of the highest proportion of winners to losers I've had since joining the site. Before we get started, I just want to tell you guys, we cannot do this show or any of these shows if we don't get subscribers. Subscribers are so absolutely important, essential to our continued existence. Um, there's four different tiers of subscription levels, and there's even just a flat-out donut. Donate. Donut button? That's a good idea. With every donation <laughs> a comes idea. a donut. Um we can't do it without you guys. This is so expensive. I barely get by every month with trying to to basically be able to put up all this stuff. I mean, if you've never done this, you have no idea how much it costs to actually keep things running. Yeah, and, and the internet's one of those weird places that the more successful you are, the more expensive it gets. Yeah, the more people who listen, the much more expensive it is. I mean, like, our bandwidth goes up monthly, and yet... Our subscriptions don't necessary. So we require you guys, and it's not much. I mean, you can sign up for $2, $5, $10, or $25 a month. I mean, seriously, depending on your income, this is stuff you could not even notice was gone from your paycheck, from your bank account every month. And you know you'd be supporting somebody you're listening to anyway. A, a big group of people on the site, which is why we call ourselves one of us. A lot of people who contribute to the site because they love doing it. They love being a part of it, like Mr. Aaron yeah. over here. I contribute enough that I feel good, but also not enough that my wife notices. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, just so you guys know, three of our podcasts, uh, this one, Digital Noise, Highly Suspect Reviews, uh, which is slash Screener Squ- Squad, which is all new release uh, reviews, and Deliberations of Doom, our horror show, all have their own separate iTunes feeds. They all have their own, th- and they're also available on Stitcher, on uh, uh, Spotify now, yes. and soon all of our shows will each have their own feeds. I'm still working on that, but but that's a start, and those things are already out there, and you can subscribe to it. Giving them really great ratings, especially on iTunes and Spotify, is a huge deal. Leaving positive comments, that makes a big difference, so if you guys could do that, I can't tell you how much it I would appreciate it. But let's go on with the reviews and get started with our first one, which goes all the way back to the very beginning of director Brian De Palma's film <laughs> career. In 19, the year 1972, I was two years old, and uh, you were like not even a glint yeah, in your daddy's eye. I'm pretty sure my parents were married at that point. Yeah. yeah were they actually married? Or you like, <laughs> they, they actually were, I think. <laughs> it's like, my parents weren't through puberty yet. <laughs> um and starring Margot Kidder playing a, a model who apparently ha- is was separated from a conjoined twin. And there's some question as to whether or not the twin, who reportedly is the crazy one, is actually around or if she's just imagining her. I did not realize that that was Margot Kidder. Yeah. Young, sexy as hell Margot Kidder. Huh. Pre-Superman Margot Kidder. Um, and she... 
this wit, there's a uh, Jennifer Salt, plays this woman who lives across the street, is like a reporter who, even though the camera clearly shows us all she sees is a bloody hand in the window for like half a second, she later claims, I saw the whole thing. I yeah. saw her murder him and stab him a hundred times. I was like, no, you didn't. You hadn't even, in the order of, sh-. anyway, it's just, it was amateur filmmaking hour at this well, point. Well, like, so, but- so this is Brian De Palma's first movie and, it- you can see a lot of the hallmarks of his technique that he develops over time. Which is to say is. all the shit that he stole from Alfred Hitchcock. True. And, and I'll admit, I'm I'm a pretty big De Palma fan for the most part. I enjoy his trash. Um, <laughs> but, like, you have the split screens. You have the long tracking shots. That's about it. You have the, the, the nonstop like, voyeurism. Well, I mean, it's like... I. So this is a Criterion movie, and anytime it's a Criterion movie, I kind of go in with raised expectations. And of course. very occasionally I run into a movie where I'm reminded that, and this is just my opinion, but Criterion, they highlight important film. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's interesting or exciting anymore. Sure, sure. And I can see why this was a landmark movie and why this changed things. But I can also see why, like, to some degree, this didn't hold hold up well over oh time. Oh, my God, it's so boring. It's it's kind of dull. Not much happens in it. I think there's, what, a total of, uh, of like, two murders in the two whole murders. thing? Two murders. Um, Although they are graphic, fucked up, awesome murders. That's true. Um, but still two. And you can see how this was controversial even above and beyond that. I mean, the beginning of the film has Margot Kidder going home with a black dude and having, like, graphic sex with him. A black guy who he met her by peeping on her in a restroom. Well, a restroom with open walls, it makes no sense in the context. One of Brian De Palma's biggest running themes is voyeurism. I mean, it pops up again and again and again in his movies, sometimes as the ultimate dominant theme, like in... uh, uh, body double or something like that, or dressed to kill. Yeah. And here it's also very dominant. It makes me think for sure. Brian De Palma is old, like creepy dude. Oh, the dude's a perv. Yeah. No <laughs> question. No, like, okay. I, I feel like I have to say that I don't actually know that he's a perv, no. in, in but he's the modern be, era. Right? But like, you can see that he's, he's got that same kind of thing that Verhoeven does where like his movies are unabashedly about the kink. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is very true. Um, I mean, some more than others, to be sure. This one, it is weird. It gets under your skin a little bit. All the stuff with the the twins is really weird. There's some stuff in the third act that gets super fucking weird. Like, as they start... You're not clear what's reality well, and what's not. Um, and I admire a lot of things about this movie more than I actually enjoyed watching it. I've, but I'm the person who falls on the side of, I'm not a big Brian De Palma fan. I find all his stuff is garish, super low rent versions of Hitchcock, where you're so, like, you get what Hitchcock's stuff looks like, you don't get how to make a Hitchcock movie. As, as an a, actual De Palma fan, like, I'm, I don't rate this too much higher than you do, though. Mm-hmm. Cause like, it, it's interesting for those of us who are fans of his work and can look back and see where he got his start. But like beyond the interesting stuff happening with the sisters, everything else, like, yes, it's weird. And yes, it's kind of twisted. It's also been done so many times over the intervening 40 years that 
there is not a single surprise in this entire movie. Except Cronenberg the did fact it better. <laughs> that a woman goes home with a black man in a movie in 1972. Yeah, yeah like, that they have that's gra- it. graphic sex that, that, like, that even that he's never treated in any sort of criminal sort of way, and yet the movie punishes him for the act. Yeah. And not only that, but being a sweetheart, but they really. go out to, he takes her out to a restaurant called the African Room that I'm not <laughs> even kidding. They're like dressed in like Sambo outfits and like beating drums and have like the horns of their noses i'm like what the fuck yeah. movie jesus yeah, yeah. Christ. there's some questionable stuff with race and sex in this movie yeah. but it's just it, it's kind of boring um charles durning has a small role in this now young charles durning like believe it or not there was once a young charles durning uh and olympia dukakis who i didn't even recognize but is in this thing as well um let me see. I feel like there was something else I want to mention here. Nope, I, I did it. Uh, so there's obviously Criterion, so it comes with an illustrated booklet. Um, it, there are, is a new interview with the Jennifer Salt, who played the neighbor who saw the murder, uh, who goes on at some time for 25 minutes talking about her relationship with Brian De Palma. Not her first thing working with her. She was actually a college friend who appears oh. in several of De Palma's short films early on before okay. he got to do a feature. Uh, there's the autopsy, which is an archival program featuring the, looking at the production history of the film uh, with interviews with lots of people involved in the crew uh, that was originally produced in 2004. There's Brian De Palma at the AFI in 1973, which is a long Q&A session with him, 91 minutes after a screening of the film. There's And then there's Margot Margo Kidder at the Dick Cavett Show in 1970, uh, which is weird to me, because why would you include an interview with her before she made this movie? <laughs> but, okay. It's there. Yeah, there's radio spots, which are tr- commercials for on radio, the International Poster Gallery. It's an okay collection. Once again, I wish this was a film I liked more than yeah. I do. But um, what are you going to do? A lot of people I know love it. Don't listen to me. Go check it out for yourself and find out. If you love Brian De Palma, you should probably yeah, see Honestly, it. if you really adore Brian De Palma, it's worth it just to see where he came from. That's about it. Uh, our next film is a modern-day horror film called Patient Zero. You may have heard about this earlier in a festival run when it was just Patient Z at some point. But it is... Um, Direct, written by Mike Lee, who I mentioned specifically because he's a guy, I actually know him, and I feel like I should throw that out out front and go like, any kind, you're like, yeah, you're being nice to this movie because you know that guy. I'm like, let me be clear, we're not friends. We chat occasionally online over the, over the space of 10 years. We've chatted like maybe 15 times online. Not close friends, but acquaintances that when one pops up on the Facebook, sends a Facebook message, the other responds. I I do not know him and have never met him. Okay. It was not (laughs) supposed to be a humble brag at all. Um, Generally speaking, actually, his his career written films have not been terrific overall. So, but... This is another film that was given, I thought, a lot harsher uh, response than it deserved. I think there's a lot of interesting things going on that don't pay off, unfortunately. The movie has a lot of good ideas. Like, (laughs) undoubtedly. The the idea of communicating with the zombies and having someone kind of infected. Let's say what the plot is before, because people won't know what we're talking about. Go ahead. So, it's... Every other zombie world, humanity is on the ropes. Uh, the This set of characters is in an underground installation a la Day of the Dead. And basically you have Matt Smith, Doctor Who, uh, is a man who was... And please correct me if I get this wrong. So he was infected, but he didn't really turn. He got bitten, but did yeah. not turn. And yeah. so now he is essentially able 
to communicate with the zombies. Now, I, I was never quite sure if they groaned and he understood them and like heard English or if just they responded yeah, that to him. The situation was very bad, badly handled because yeah. we see what everyone else hears, which is zombies going, rah, 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 and he hears them going, oh my, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but basically they're trying to, it's the age old, try to study and solve the cure for the zombie infection. Uh, Looking for like patient zero. Three different Game of Thrones actors in it would show yeah. up. There's your angry military guy who's the angriest military guy who ever military. Straight out of Day of the Dead. Yeah. There's so much shit in here ripped right out of Day of the Dead. It's ridiculous. So, long story short, Stanley Tucci shows up who just knocks it the fuck out of who, the park. Who brightens the fuck out of yeah. this movie that you're clearly as, losing interest in at that point. As not patient zero. No. Like, he wasn't. And that, that was a weird thing. But instead, just a kind of a figurehead zombie yeah. and evolved the zombie Matt Smith and Stanley Tucci playing off of each other and trying to find out what's going on with the zombie virus whereas oh my gosh are the zombies going to attack us who knows maybe and that is the movie yeah um, Natalie Dormer, one of the Game of Thrones people, has, plays the head scientist. This is who? Scientists who actually have a real plan, wonky as it is, and military versus military guys who constantly scream and talk shit about the scientists and their plan, and yet have no plan. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very just- clear they have zero plan. And you're like, will you just shut the fuck up then and just do your goddamn job? Thank you. You don't have a plan. If you had something, even like something, if it was crazy, you had mentioned that you had an idea, but you do not. So why are you just constantly protesting? That really drove me crazy because at least like in Day of the Dead, which this whole setup comes from, it they were a small group on the edge of forever. They had no contact and like they were at the breaking point. I don't get the sense from them here that they're at the breaking point. They're mm-hmm. kind of a little crowded, but the guy just comes in screaming at, you know, he's already at 10. Yeah. I just never understood that at all. And in fact, he does stuff that's so irrational. You're like, you're a moron. Yeah. You're just not a believable character <laughs> on any level. Um, poor Samwell Tarly from Game of Thrones gets killed off early on. It's like, yeah, oh, Samwell, you're also sweet in this movie, even if you tell little off-color jokes. Um, Matt Smith has the worst New York City accent you've ever heard in your entire life. Oh, my God. You're like, why does he have an accent at all? What possible good reason was there to make him have to be from Brooklyn? I don't get it. Like, yeah. just let him be an English guy. Because there's, he, I guess they wanted him to be American. Who knows? Uh, and, um, and then there's a, and the plan itself, you're like, so your plan, the, you've said there's 9 million zombies turned in the United States at this point, at least. So your plan is to go through them one at a time and interview them and go, are you patient zero? That's your plan. That's that's the whole plan. And and that's it's got a wife who's infected, but they've got something that's not a cure, but kind of like puts it at bay. The yeah, complete they, rage. They never explained that enough for me to feel entirely happy with that as a plot device. Yeah, it was both weird. both why Matt Smith hasn't turned, and then the way they handled his wife. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that that you're like, this would have been cool if you had bothered to explain it. Like the whole, oh, we torture them by playing music because they say they can't process harmony the way we do. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. So they, it sounds like not good music to them, so they start screaming in agony? I mean, come on. I, well, I force every time I go to the mall, you'd think I'd start screaming if that was the case. Here's the thing, though. Like, this is a zombie movie.
movie and it's a traditional zombie movie. We've seen this a hundred times before. We're saturated with zombies and we're at a point where I kind of feel like you have to do something special if you're going to do a zombie movie. You either have to have a wildly unique idea, which this movie almost does, yeah. or you have to really knock it the fuck out of the park. Like, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm still fantasizing about the World War Z 2 directed by David Fincher. Like, right. that excites me, because it's the pedigree. This was just... Okay. I mean, if yeah. you're looking for you a zombie movie, this is perfectly passable. You had a good starting point. You just didn't have any follow through on yeah. it. And to the point where your whole overarching metaphor, which is the idea of American rage on all sides is going so quickly out of control that we're heading towards a civil war. That's clearly what this movie is trying to talk about. And yet there's all these specifics to the zombies that are unnecessary and don't fit that metaphor at all. Like another one is the whole, they don't know how to lie. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> There's just, and the music thing, you're just like, if you're gonna make, like, hammer home, this is really about this, all that shit should probably fit the metaphor. Yeah. Just a little. <laughs> I'm just, just a little. <laughs> Um, but I'll be honest, there's some, uh, fun performances in here. The zombies are kind of cool, fast moving rage zombies. Yeah. And like I said, the idea that only one guy can understand them and that we can see that is neat and does pay off finally when you do get, uh, what's his face? Stanley Johnny. Tucci. Stanley Tucci is so good in this. Cause he's Stanley Tucci. Yeah. He, he, he will show up in a Transformers movie and make you like that movie for when he's on screen. And yeah, that's it. I, I, I can't go with you that far. <laughs> I actually thought he was bad in the Transformers film. Really? I thought yeah. he was like the only passable part. No, I couldn't handle it. Uh, well, let's go on to one you did not get to see. Here, you can take a look at the cover if you want. Um, this is The Unnameable has been getting a 4K restoration, which say it's not for 4K players, It's but it is... Being as restored as much as they're capable of at this point. Cult 80s classic. This corrected Blu-ray release comes with a limited edition slip sleeve cover. And also a default, default to the classic cover that if you remember from after that, from from the 80s, after the first 2,000 units have sold. I bet you the first 2,000 units haven't sold. Well, I will say it, the cover's really cool. The cover's super cool. Um, this is a film that wants so desperately to be the ultimate Lovecraft movie. Okay, first off, hint, there is no truly great Lovecraft movie that is really genuinely a Lovecraft movie yet. There's lots that incorporate element, uh, elements, like Reanimator is probably, arguably the best of the... Well, that's sp- the best straight Lovecraft adaptation. But it's not. It barely has anything to do with the story that it's yeah. based on. I mean, literally, like, names. And that's about it. Like, <laughs> like, there's almost nothing is right on. Like, the short film Call of Cthulhu is as close as we've gotten to a dead-on adaptation. Uh, there's a black and white, like, 20-minute short that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, and someday, Netflix is going to pay for Guillermo de Toro's At the Mountains of Madness. So, um, just saying. Uh, but this, it's a bunch of college students who are doofy, stupid college students who go to Miskatonic University who, uh, have heard the story from their professor who is a, a, a character who is, uh, actually a, a known, uh, Lovecraft detective, Randolph Carter, who, who returns as well for the sequel, The Unnameable 2. Ooh. And, uh, who's told them the story of this guy who, who, ha- 
like messed with magic and it ended up screwing with his, his wife's child and it came out this demon monster and he cast spells to try and keep it from hurting anyone else. His wife died in childbirth, but eventually it grew up enough. It broke the spells and then killed him. And some say it's still in the house. And they're like, that's silly. Where would this house even be? It's like, it's right behind you, (laughs) which it actually is. Um, so of course it ends up with a bunch of really stupid teenagers that like to take off their clothes who go into said house, end up getting killed one by one by admittedly kind of cool looking demon. Like the it's, unnameable. it's a chick in a, in a, in like a, a suit that kind of looks like half chick, half horse, half demon. I don't know. It, it, it was a, the reason this thing sold as well as it did at the time is because a, it's got pretty sweet gore. It gets pretty graphic and, and, and fun in that sense. If you like that sort of thing Two, the demon is cool. Three. Titties. Just saying. It's pretty much a slasher monster film. uh, And it's not a good one, but it's better than a lot of the crap that was going, that was coming out in uh, the year 1988. And there was a lot of crap coming out in 1988. A lot of just absolute garbage. So the fact that this stood out well enough to have a Blu-ray release should tell you something. But hey, maybe you're one of those people who remembers it super fondly. And this is a really nice presentation of it. So uh, if that is your deal, then uh, there you go. And there's um, special, even special features on this, like interviews with uh, some of the actors from this thing who almost like when I was looking at the actors trying to find out other things they've done, it was like known for this and the unnameable <laughs> two. And that was it. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Uh, the interviews, with a lot of people who worked on this thing, vintage audio track, photo gallery, uh, there's a commentary with the directors and several of the actors. I mean, they really went much further than you needed to go for the unnameable, which is not great. Uh, let's talk about our movie you did get to see, which is from Arrow. We love our Arrow movies. They, they are the, the, uh, the B movie criterion and God bless them for it. They put out a film called Torso that I've actually been Ooh. hearing about forever and always wanted to see. Or Carnival of was it Carnival of Blood or Carnival of Flesh was the alternate title. Uh, well, there's a lot of different uh, alternate titles. I believe there was The Bodies Bear Traces of Carnal Violence. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Uh, Italian movies tend to have often have, have really have weird, weird names. They have incredible bad titles. Yes, they do. Um, I And I, I got to tell you, this is one that is a bad Italian film, but it's also a really good bad Italian film. Yeah, I kind of really enjoyed it. 1973, this is pre-slasher renaissance, but it's and it's not quite to the point where Giallo was doing churning out, going more supernatural, but Giallo had separated and become a notable force. I mean, everybody was pumping, making uh, Dario Argento bird with a crystal plumage ripoffs. Um, and this was like this somewhere in between those steps between when it was those early giallos and when it started to turn into more of what the American slashers were stealing from. You know, it's right in between those things. And there's even this director, uh, Sergio Martino, has aspirations to art here. I mean, I don't think he's like, I'm just churning out a, a, a sex and blood quickie because he gets really crazy with his camera shots. I mean, there's some wacky camera angles that are clearly very well planned. He does um, actually legitimately try to make a good movie. He, he does legitimately try to. The script gets away from him. I mean, the plot, such as it is, and really, it's just barely I, a plot. I'm really excited to hear you describe this because I can't tell you what happened in the first 
first half of this movie. College students are being murdered. The killer uses a red and black ascot, uh, which is like a scar- scarf. neck scarf, like a, a not scarf. winter scarf, <laughs> uh, to strangle his victims. Um, a college student realizes she recognizes the, the ascot, but can't remember where she saw it, so she's trying to remember. And so everyone goes, well, you know what we should do? We should go into the most remote villa we can find with all our hot chick friends and stay there. That way we'll be safe. Great plan. Um, but it's absolutely no protection whatsoever as the killer kills his way up to the villa. And then they make the strangest decision I have ever seen in a slasher movie, literally ever, where all the hot girls are in there. And they show the killer coming in the house. And then it's the next day. Okay. And everyone died off camera. Thank you. I, I wanted to ask you that. That was the most confusing edit I've ever seen. Because uh-huh. they cut from, okay, I'm pretty sure this is the killer, to a body being buried and then a character waking up an undetermined amount of time later. Yeah, there's like one character who survives. And so like... And, and she comes out and finds the killer still in the house and has killed all the other chicks. Which, and you're like, wait, what? I submit, the movie got really interesting after that happened. True, true. But that was such a weird decision. Yeah, I have never seen them, uh, a this type of movie go, let's not show all the killings of the hot chicks in the movie. And, and the like, one thing I, 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 I like to not consider myself a prude, but I will admit the amount of nudity in this movie and blatant seventies Italian sexism is staggering. The first half of this film is pretty much more of a sexploitation film yeah. than it is a horror film. Like you could this if this feels like um when you told me that the last house on the left there was like a secret porn version. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell me that they shot explicit sex scenes for this movie and I'd be like, Yeah, that that makes sense. Would not be surprised at all. Uh yeah, there's just, he's not kidding. There's so much nudity and sex in the first half here. Also, there's this weird scene with a bunch of hippies, and the movie makes this point of trying to make them all look like they're evil and they're up to something. But <laughs> I was like, what is going on in this sequence? Which they're not, they don't pl- figure into the plot in any way, shape, or form, but they're all like, have this look in the music's like, dun dun. And you're like, oh, it's like, clearly this director really fucking hated hippies. <laughs> and then there's a lot of weird kind of asides on small town Italy uh, chauvinism. Like, just a bunch of guys walking around talking about all the things they want to do to the hot women up at the villa while also going, yeah, but we're never going to do anything. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, almost, like, both indulging in, in uh, machismo and misogyny and also, a t- and like... Pointing out how absurd it all is at, at the, the same, same time. scene. It's really weird. Cat, get down from there. Down. God damn it. Cat, I gotta interview. Stop my fucking thing because of you. This is what it's like living with a podcast studio with cats everywhere. They're like, the moment they know, see me on mic, they're like, and now we're gonna go where we're not supposed to go. As the guest speaker, it's always kind of fun. So <laughs> I'm sure you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, this is, there's not much to actually say in description of this. It is gory with varying results. Like the first kill looks so bad. It looks like they just took like a white squash and yeah. injected blood in it and then punched through it because it's like not at all convincing. It's like, what the fuck was that crap? But it's varying results as the movie goes on. Um, it's just that this is weird and it definitely predates a lot of the, it's like a real contender for like, early, super heavy influence on the slasher movie genre, like, for sure. I feel like if, this is the kind of thing where if 
you already are interested in this movie, it's probably for you. Mm-hmm. Like, if you like the other Italian uh, giallo horror-esque movies that Arrow's been putting out, like Curse of the Jade Scorpion and others, this is right up your alley. You'll probably get a kick out of it. If you don't like that kind of a movie, if you don't like explicit nudity and violence... And just like, yeah, let's look at a naked woman for five minutes because we're Italian men and we're pervy. Then <laughs> probably ought to move on. At least in the 70s, anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's uh, audio commentary by Kat, critic Cat Ellinger. There's a lot of different interviews here. Qu- quite long interviews, like 30-minute interviews with almost everyone involved with this thing. <gasps> Including original trailers. And you can also, uh, there's several different f- versions of the film available. Uh, here you can t- watch either the Ita- original Italian version, which is longer, or the truncated American version, which has actually a few extra scenes, but it is shorter because they cut out a lot of the sex. You know, Arrow does a good job of that. They always have the original Italian, and then they have the American version, and then they'll have what I always watch, which is the hybrid, where it's the American whenever they have English, and then they dub in a, the Italian track when they don't. Right. Like, they always do a really good job of having those three versions. Agreed. Uh, our next film is a brand new... I, I can't really call this a horror movie. It's not. It's it's more like uh, aliens are abducting us propaganda than anything else. Oh, I know what uh, you're talking about now. Uh, Beyond the Sky. I mean, I mean, I'm being very serious. This is... Like, I've seen a lot of alien movies, and I always make a point of asking for them because I'm a big old school X-Files fan, and almost all alien abduction horror films are terrible. There's okay, every once you. in a while, there's a, there's one that's like kind of amusing in a B-grade way, but they're generally really bad. Right. And this is weird in that it shamelessly is an attack on skepticism, like, and is a promotion of the idea, like, oh, the skeptics, they're just lying to themselves. It's so clearly real. Even to the point that the bonus features on the fucking thing are interviews with famous abductees instead of anything to do with yeah, the Yeah, there's nothing movie. on the movie. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, this is just you guys trying to sell, like, being angry that people don't, like, believe that there be these people who say they've been abducted by aliens, which... It, uh, to me, is not a good reason to make a, a movie. Like, so I had two very specific problems with this movie. Which, which first of all, let's get into the plot. Um, it is about well, such as it is. Uh, it's about a guy who, when he was a kid, his mom runs out on his dad and may or may not have been abducted. Yes, his dad, who is a shitty, abusive guy, He's played by Peter Stormare. Yes. Uh, the thankless dad, no. role, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the few people in here but, who are well-known are barely in the film. Like, so, Wallace is barely in yep. the film, but she's in it. <laughs> so he makes it his mission in life to show people who think aliens exist that they are stupid. Like, like that is his goal. And his explicit goal in making this sort of documentary that we're watching is to track this down and disprove alien abductions for all time. Yeah, he's with another dude, his cameraman, and they've gone to a alien abduction convention to interview folks with the idea of just basically mercilessly satirizing them on camera, which is like, I don't care what you feel, that's a dick thing to yeah. do. Uh, and right off the bat, you're like, fuck this guy. Yeah, so, so there are two huge issues I had with the movie right off the bat. One is that the main character is a giant prick from scene one, never improves, and then gets rewarded for it. And the other is that it's half mockumentary. Like, 
or sorry, found footage. So like they cut to found footage cameras all the time. They have two different camera guys shooting. One of them has a telltale visual sign that you're watching a camera. One does not. Yeah. And then they'll also cut to third person. Just this is movie footage. Mm -hmm. And you can't tell the difference between what was shot from one camera guy and the real movie footage. So I spent the entire movie going, what the fuck? Wait, they're leaving a guy behind. Oh, no. no, no. Yeah. Th- th- that was that was just normal footage. And there's an attempt to create a love story between him and an abductee girl played by Jordan Henson. That if you were a fan of that show, Eureka, she played Zoe Carter on that show. And if you're not and, a fan of the show, Eureka, you should be. Cause and she's, a, she's actually kind of decent to the movie. Well, I mean, she's got a lot more experience than anyone else else does yeah. god knows the lead actor here he is just ryan Carnes. he's just bad yeah <laughs> he's so wooden it's kind of embarrassing and he's been in other stuff too oh i'm sorry general hospital <laughs> if you want to count that uh, he, so yeah. yeah so basically the, this girl uh from eureka she is Abducted by aliens every seven years on her birthday, and because she's attractive and blonde, he decides that she's believable and starts following her around and being creepy in order to find out her story, and the plot continues. I don't want to spoil anything else after that. I'm not going to say this is like devoid of any good moments. I think it does have kind of a cool, some cool ideas floating around in the side. There's a whole thing with a device that the aliens use to erase memory that they find a cool thing to do with, I thought. And then the the climax is actually pretty cool and impressive looking. Thank you. I thought it was too. They had some really unique and interesting visuals. They, you can see them butting up against their budget, Mm. but their idea was so original that it was like, wow, that's kind of fun to watch. I would have liked to have seen this kind of visual display and this concept be ported over into something that had a bigger budget and a better story. Yeah. But it was still fun. So moving on to more science fiction that uh, you wouldn't guess was science fiction to see the trailers or the read the back of the cover of it, but sorry to bother you, is indeed really absurdist sci-fi comedy. Fuck yes. <laughs> this, this may be my favorite movie that I saw out of this group. It's really, really as... I don't know if I'd like it quite as much as everyone else likes it. Because people loved it to the point they were, like, losing their goddamn minds. Like, everyone, when they were we- when I sent everyone else to go review it for the site, they gave it, like, 10 out of 10. I was like, I wouldn't give this a 10 out of 10. I gave it, like, an 8.5 out of 10. Which, which, that's not a bad rating. No. This is still, like, it's definitely top 10 of the year for me. It's pretty solid. But, but I, I will admit... I don't know that I would do 10 out of 10. Uh, director Boots Riley, uh, who is a better known before this because this is his film debut as a uh, rapper, <clears throat> producer, uh, and activist. This follows Lakeeth Stanfeld, who everybody loves on uh, 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 Atlanta. Oh. Yeah, you don't watch Atlanta? I've watched like three episodes. Uh, he plays like the, the guy who's kind of the best friend of the rapper guy. And wasn't he just in the new girl with the... Yeah, listen. Yeah, yeah. About that girl with the spider. <laughs> spider's web, it's garbage. Um, anyway, so it's like, this is alternate reality, but present day version of Oakland. Um, Lakeith is, uh, plays a character named Cash Green. <laughs> and he's dating Tessa Thompson, who's named Detroit, who's kind of an artist activist type of uh, person. 
And he is having a lot of trouble finding a job to get by. Um, he goes to work. He lives with his uncle, played by uh, Terry, Terry Crews, in a funny little, largely just a cameo. But he lives in his garage with her, his girlfriend, Detroit. So he ends up, he gets a job working as a telemarketer, on the uh, like, which is like, if you've ever done it, is like the worst job that exists in the entire world. It is shit. And he can't figure it out until Danny Glover is another co-worker is like, dude, you just got to figure out how to talk in your white voice. Like, what? <laughs> and so they literally dub in white, well-known Which, white actors, comedians to be these guys, white voices. I, I have to say his description of the white voice is the most accurate. Just like, Oh, you understand that character and how that would work instantly. Yes. It's pitch perfect script writing. Um, and so the, uh, David Cross gets a lot of work as he, like, Leketh ends up being really good at this. And that ends up David Cross is, like, ADRing whenever he's speaking in his white voice. And he's so good that despite, like, a, a rebellion starting to raise up at this co- company, the forming of a union uh, being led by Stephen Yuen uh, as Squeeze, uh, they call him in for a promotion to a thing that sounds like the movie is going, this is bullshit. No one ever actually gets promoted. This is just the carrot they dangle as if such a thing existed as the upstairs in the golden elevator where everybody who's up there is fucking loaded and doing really well. But sure enough, it's actually true. When you, If you are one of the few that gets promoted and go up there, you do, but you have to work for the most diabolical evil fucking company Which, in the world. So that's the alternate reality part. And one thing I think this movie did really well, uh, aside from the fact that it wears its subtext on its sleeve, I, I love that the main character is literally named Cassius Grain, and they call him Cash, and all he cares about is money. But so they have in the background... Like, it's not at all a main component until this happens. This kind of news footage storyline of what's going on in the broader world. And if you don't catch that, an unobserved audience, until he makes it into the high rollers club, as it were, would have no idea that this is an alternate reality science fiction movie. Right. And then it pulls the rug out from under you. And it's very much like... I almost compared this movie to Get Out, partially because, yes, it's this surrealist black genre that's come about lately, um, but also just because that it's this is a normal story, this is a normal story, and then there's the turn, and it's not so much a twist, but just a continuing evolution of the plot. You're like, wow, this changes and reframes everything I've seen. weirder and weirder. And and then it keeps going. Uh, Army Hammer, by the way, is here playing the the, the boss, who's seemingly affable enough, but, like, to talk to as a person. But the the movie makes very clear early on. Yeah, this is one of those scumbag, like, guys who thinks he's the cool guy boss, but is, like... Uh, almost a sociopath to the degree which he's willing. He's like, as long as I'm making money, who cares what happens to other people? God, and can I, is he just a national treasure who never got the career he deserved <laughs> or what? Oh, did you see Rosario Dawson was the the elevator voice? No, like, I didn't he, notice that. He gets that. on the elevator. The elevator is like, like really gets in. 
super personal. Oh, it's it's like you have a big dick and people like to touch it. <laughs> yeah. Have, have a good dick. Have you masturbated yet today? You might want to consider going to the restroom to do that so you can really focus. It's going to be a big day. <laughs> wow. Fucking weird. There's a lot of this this movie because they say God is in the details and there's a lot of that oh, where yeah. you're like, oh, it's the kind of little moments around the side that kind of well, make like, this movie so good often. There's a scene where he converts from his old shitty garage place to an actual nice apartment mm-hmm. and the way they visualize that it feels like Michelle Gondry came in and stunt directed that sequence where like the furniture falls away as paper sculptures yeah, yeah. and the new stuff rises up in this place it's just a great visual uh so surprisingly there is barely any bonus feature on this thing considering how much people were praising and talking about this they put very little effort into this you know, being much of a release there's I, just a commentary track for the director there's a 12 minute interview with the director which honestly is kind of just self promotion more than it is very revealing um which is i guess kind of typical for for like a guy who's been mainly promoting himself with rap yeah. all this time uh promotion some promotional trailers which are just tiny little epks and a gallery um that's it uh, i'm i maybe it's one of those ones they're like well criterion's already nibbling around the edges yeah. of wanting to do well, an actual like, good release of this i'm intrigued to hear the commentary i didn't have a time to but that, i think this is one of those movies that i'd like to know what he was thinking or inter- intending to do okay, that's scenes. why we're so disappointed Disappointing that the bonus features weren't yeah. very good. Um, I did not. Have, I rarely have time to lo- listen to commentaries because God, remember when we the whole movie again. Remember but, when we had time to do things like that in life? Yeah, that time is long <laughs> past us. Uh, another big film that we're talking about here, what, probably the, like uh, one of the biggest ones in terms of uh, stuff that came out this year, is Incredibles Two is finally out on Blu-ray. I, I know people had mixed results on this one. Um, I have mixed feelings about it. Actually, I, I, I don't like this as much as the first one. I still really loved it and thought it was re- incredibly fun, and I don't really have any problems with it other than it's just one of those. It's really rare when a sequel can be better than the original film see, when I, the original film is great and perfect. And this falls into that trap of like, yeah, we were kind of trying to figure out where to go with this and weren't really clear what how to take it. And it's an interesting idea. I like what their idea is, but I'm not sure it really the execution was flawless. So, like, I, I have some legitimate issues with this movie. And, and I, I want to preface this by saying I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like, mm-hmm. I will be rewatching this and I will own it. Um, but so basically the plot of the movie, and I'll give like a five second version. Cause I know we reviewed it on the site. Uh, it picks up right after the last movie and uh, right away, a rich businessman approaches the heroes and says, I want to make heroes legal again. I loved it when you guys were around, but this time we want the main hero to be Elastigirl. Right. And she becomes kind of like a, for hire superhero going on a big business trip, very much like uh, Mr. Incredible did in the first movie, while Mr. Incredible is having to be domestic dad. Right. So it splits the movie up into two plots, your superhero plot and then your family domestic plot, kind of like the first one did, and then they come together at the end. And that ignores the events of the Incredible short that came out before, yeah. or, or arguably maybe that happens somewhere in the middle of this somewhere, because a lot of the big subplot story is, hey, Jack Jack is developing powers, all of the powers that yeah. there are. <laughs> and so, like, uh, you notice I've said, like, the first one, and that's my big problem with this movie. The structurally, 
it feels like the same movie, like a retread, a good retread, but it's a retread. And the villain, both in their intent and their evil plan, is almost an exact match of the villain from the first one. And I kind of thought it was super obvious. The moment they appeared, I was like, oh, that's that's going to be the bad guy. And yet they have the exact same evil plan of they don't like the concept of superheroes. I really wish they would have either followed the Underminer plot or introduced something and not had it been about someone trying to stop the very concept of a superhero. Right. Having said that, though, the – and yes, I'm a dad, so this might be part of it, but the dad plot – yeah. With watching him try to adapt to domestic life and both have trouble with it, but not get all, I'm a man and I can't do this about it. Right. was really nice. And there is a fight between Jack-Jack and a raccoon. That's the which, high point of the movie. Yeah, it's it's my favorite fight in the movie, I think. Um, I will say all the fights are very well done. As much as the Elastigirl stuff kind of drags, you know, because it does. It's like we we know see where this is going. Yeah, and we're gl- we're glad. And the point of that whole thing is just to establish that like Bob can deal with like the idea of not being the breadwinner. That you're not you haven't lost any of your masculinity by being the one who chose chooses to stay home with the kids and letting the wife do that. We get it. Right? Oh, we totally agree. Everyone agrees. That's great. And they get past that notion relatively quickly. And then it's still more fun watching Bob at home with the kids and dealing with Jack yeah. Jack and bringing in, uh, uh, Edna, like, uh, <laughs> like the costume maker voiced by the director, uh, uh, who, by the way, has one of the best bonus features in a while now. There's the whole thing where he drops Jack Jack off with her because, like, well, he's got all these powers and you never see what happens that night. The one of the extras is, what happened that night when her figuring out, learning all of Jack-Jack's powers and how to deal with it. And that is super fun. Um, yeah, I would have liked more Frozone. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Love Samuel Jackson. The first one would have been nice if he had been in here more. There's a lot of cool moments. The fights with Elastigirl and her motion, the way they showed what she can oh, do with her powers phenomenal. are really well and, and smartly done. It's like when you're watching a really good uh, MCU film where they have a character, like we need to show how this character would use their powers in a way yeah. that doesn't occur to you automatically. And they kind of do that here. But yeah, there's something about it. it just doesn't quite live up to the first one. And it's because it's kind of uneven with yeah. the two different You know, stories. I just, I want them to make a third Oh, yes. Good God, I want them to make a third with a villain who has some goal that isn't, I want to end superhero-dumb. Yes. Agreed. Something small. Yeah. Maybe a superhero that wants superheroes to take over the Earth and they've got to stop him. Yeah, like, like, that's the opposite. Yeah. Uh, The bonus features here, there's Bao, the very controversial, because people have very mixed feelings on this short film that, of course, played before this. To me, I was like, there's nothing wrong with this film except the idea of cannibalism really freaks me out. And there's like a thing that is a, that's just a metaphor, but it's vor and it always makes my stomach turn thinking about that stuff. And I just had a hard time you know, watching like, it. So I, I saw some of the people in the one of or the one of us group kind of get up in arms about this. And I, I don't have an issue with it. Mm-hmm. Like I bought into the metaphor hook line. There's and nothing wrong with it. It's and me. so it's me is it, the problem. It was, well, it, you're not alone though. Like a lot yeah. of people complained about that same aspect of it and it didn't bother me at all. I thought it was a really beautiful story. 
Uh, there's the uh, 19 minutes uh, lesson in animation with Brad Bird, which is basically everyone talking up how much they love Brad Bird and then Brad Bird talking about his own history. Uh, I love Brad Bird, so I have no problem with that. There's audio commentary with him and some of the animation uh, supervisors. Uh, there is a five part bonus feature series where it's like they're all relatively short, like like. 10 minutes or under, but they're just little, it's, little features on aspects of the production of making an animated film. There's Heroes and Villains, which is a little under 30 minutes with everyone talking about their own characters. Uh, there's Vintage Features, which are new stuff, which is vintage toy commercials for Mr. Incredible, Elastigirl, and Frozone, as well as character theme songs played for Mr. Incredible, Elastigirl, and Frozone, which are slightly different when the, than the versions of you know, the The only toy issue I run into with these Pixar discs, they're always chock full of, of extras. Mm-hmm. But they're always inextricable. Undeniably, it's a kids' movie, and so therefore, all of the extras that tend to be in the movies are geared towards kids. Well, they weren't. So, like, even when they go into interesting aspects of the production, yeah, it still tends to be more EPK level than really in depth analysis. I find that Pixar and Disney, though, is kind of the exception with that a lot of the time because it depends on the movie. Like, you know, if it's cars, nobody's getting into the high technical aspects. It's all super kitty, like karaoke garbage. But if it's like, you know, uh, uh, Toy Story, they get into the hardcore details of okay. the animation, start getting like, well, this is how this works and everything. It's not like, hey, kids, this is how this works. <laughs> They're like, three quarters of our audience are actually grown ups and they know that at Pixar. <laughs> They're like, a, their audience is the kid inside. <laughs> and if it's the movie Bow, literally. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, there's also 40 minutes of deleted scenes here, most of which are nothing really special and extended versions of stuff, but there's some stuff that's worth seeing there and then of course trailers for other stuff but um i think this is super solid it just Agreed. i wish it was a little bit better like it's it's one of those things where you're like you know what this is a great movie i really enjoyed it but it could have been something even better our next one is another animated superhero film called teen titans go to the movies uh we did in fact review this on the site so if you want to hear a full review of this you can listen to that this is a adaptation of the or not adaptation a continuation uh, of the tv series teen titans go taking that that very absurdly colorful and kitty version of that cartoon and bringing it into a very meta self-referential movie this is deadpool for kids i don't know that i i'll this was surprisingly dark. So first of all, the, the movie didn't feel like a superhero movie to me. Uh-huh. This felt more like a um, uh, Save the Rec Center or you know a snowboarding movie. Okay, except they're trying to get a movie made instead of saving the yeah, rec. Because center. Robin is very insecure and he's upset that every one of the big superheroes has gotten a movie and he has not and that thinks that no one takes him seriously and also the fact he's the only one without powers in the yes. group and he has so, small baby hands yeah he has small baby hands and so everyone's like <laughs> we gotta get together and make Robin feel better which is not a great plot but well, like, you know what so, it is but it doesn't matter because it's this whole thing is so absurd so the the two things that kind of I came away from this movie this feels like 22 Jump Street for kids mm. which just like you said, super meta, kind of intelligent in the way it lays out its meta humor. Mm-hmm. And there's enough there for adults. Like, I had a blast watching this. And also, I'm pretty sure the Teen Titans are the villain of this movie. They're definitely, like, none of these problems would be happening if it wasn't like, for them. Because, like, they straight up 
kind of murder Aquaman as a baby. <laughs> well, and then that? they save him. Yeah. Like, they undo it. But for, like, three minutes, I sat there going... They just murdered a baby. What's the funniest joke in the whole thing is the whole, like, oh, we'll go back through time and make it so the Justice League guys never become the Justice League, so then we'll be the big heroes. And you're like, okay, that's a really funny sequence. And then when they have to undo it, also funny. Yeah. But, I mean, like I said, you can't take this seriously on any level. It's not supposed to be taken that way. It's it's straight-up meta-company humor. Like I said, it's really more directed towards teenagers, like Deadpool, 22 Jump yeah. Street. I feel like it had its sights, its sights and its writing quality aimed a little oh. bit. Higher uh, and a little bit dirtier. Uh, this is that. It's still there's some really clever stuff in this that I liked, but I was kind of like, yeah, this is not totally for me. Like, well, and that's fair. Like, this is that kids movie that, as an adult, you're going to be able to get a lot of enjoyment out of. Like, I will admit that will I be watching this independently of showing it to my son down the line? Probably not. But will I gladly show my son this, knowing that? I can really get a kick out of it and laugh at the meta humor that he will have no concept of. Yeah. Uh, there's two, uh, four videos in here. Three are sing-along videos from songs from the thing. And one is Little Yachty's music video, video for it. So whatever. Uh, there's WB Lot Shenanigans, which are a bunch of people in... Uh, like costumes, like, you know, the big theme park style costumes of these characters who sneak into the WB lot and run around in sped up motion being chased by a security guard. And the only reason it's there is to go, Hey kids, did you know there's a whole tour of the WB lot that you can see a bunch of cool superhero <laughs> shit from their movies? Uh, there's a DC superhero girl short, which before played before the movie in theaters, the little Batsby, which is Batgirl trying to catch up really fast with the rest of her super, uh, super, female superhero friends to be able to stop Mr. Freeze. Very short. There's Red Carpet Mayhem, which is literally just a promotional piece for the movie. Uh, some deleted scenes. It's the, it's not a great collection and of bonus stuff. I'm just but curious, you did, did they low-key reveal that they're going to do a Teen Titans Go, Teen Titans crossover? The next movie this? is Teen Titans Go versus the Teen Titans. Okay. Where, which they flat out said it is. Not clear if it's going to get a theatrical release or just direct on TV. But yeah, I mean, like, because there's a running joke in here that everyone knows. All fans prefer the last version of the Teen Titans cartoon that existed over Teen Titans Go. And they've been very vocal and angry about it. So they actually have those characters in this movie. And now people are like, well, we kind of just want to see that happen. I, like, I'm not going to lie. that That's a really cool idea. <laughs> like, imagine if Deadpool 3 were Deadpool versus, like, an earlier version of Deadpool. Yes. Like, that's kind of awesome. I, I do, in fact, agree with you. Uh, so next up we have... Well, you, I was hoping it was going to come before I had to hand off the titles to you because I knew it was on the way. And for some reason, it was a good week between them first ending the, <coughs> excuse me, the 4K version of Rambo First Blood 2, which <laughs> I was able to say give with you, and them sending me Rambo First Blood, which, by the way, is the better movie by a sizable margin. <laughs> Although, so, so it's interesting. Rambo First Blood, first of all, because are we talking about First Blood Part 2 or First Blood? Well, I mean, let me talk about First Blood first, because it's the first Okay, no, because I... Funny you've story. seen it before. I have seen it many a time. In fact, I got into a verbal argument slash fight with a college professor about Rambo First Blood, because uh, I was in a class on the evolution of film, which it ended up being taught by this super pretentious lady who had no respect for film. And... 
her example of the big, dumb blockbuster action film that was stupid and had nothing beyond explosions was Rambo First Blood. And you're like, uh, and I was like, that is not what that movie is. That is what the sequels are. Yeah, you might. That is not First Blood. You did not do your research, and you had no business coming in here talking about it when you clearly don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, because this is the first one is not a big dumb action movie. Well, it's it's adapted from a book that was. Not an action book. It was about a man coming home from Vietnam and dealing with the fact that the country hated them. Yeah, that that was like that were spitting on them, didn't trust them. They came back looking like you know hippies because I mean they were just in a war. They let their hair grow out. They're all kind of fucked up in the head from the shit they experienced. And what did they do? And in this particular case, Sylvester Stallone, which by the way, this came out after. Rocky Three, which I think is interesting. That's weird. Isn't that weird? Because it like, feels like it was like earlier, but it wasn't. It was like after he was already a big star. This was his attempt to do something more serious after the Rocky films had gotten to the point where, yeah, they were getting kind of absurd. I mean, <laughs> awesome, but absurd. Um, and so he comes to this. He's just hitchhiking to this town because he wants to visit a, the last surviving member of his troop. And it turns out the guy committed suicide. And he's just kind of, well, I don't even know what to do then. So he's just wandering. And a the local sheriff, uh, Brian Dennehy, Brian sees him and tries Dennehy. to act like he's being nice. Get in the car. I'll give you a ride to the outskirts of town because don't fucking come here. We don't want your type here. Acts like he's doing him a favor. Right off the bat, you're like, man, fuck this guy. I suspect at the time of release, there was a little bit more in audiences in general of sort of like, Oh, but we're very mixed about what's happening because they're cops and you can't hurt cops. Nowadays, you're like, man, fucking Rambo, kill every last one of these. (laughs) Maybe not David Caruso. The young David Caruso is the one guy's like, should we be doing this, guys? But even so, all the rest, they are racist pieces of shit. They bring him into the station, like hose him down, start beating the shit out of him. Uh, He understandably... Starts fighting back and takes off. The one guy is like straight up just trying to murder him. <laughs> yeah, like the, that's the, the the weird thing about this movie is it is very much an action film mm-hmm. where the bad guys are the cops. Oh, where, totally. Where we're rooting for a escaped criminal to murder a bunch of cops. And it, well, he's not an escaped criminal, yeah. really. I mean, he never broke a law True. at all. You're, you're right. That's he's he's very a vagrant. Clear. Was, yeah, there are, I'm walking down the street, so I'm yeah. a vagrant. <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely, you get mad, even all these years later rewatching, I was like, man, you get mad watching this film. You're like, man, fuck the police. Yeah. <laughs> Which a lot of people are feeling that way well, now like, for obvious reasons. But, um, Richard Crenna shows up at one point as his old colonel, Sam Troutman, who's like, who just basically plays the the uh, Donald Pleasance role in Halloween. Yeah, he's the boogeyman. Yeah, so you don't understand. He's going to kill all of you. <laughs> I am your only chance because none of y'all know what you're fucking doing. Anyway, a lot of you guys have probably seen this movie. And if you haven't, it is it holds up. It's a really solid fucking movie. Yeah, especially at the very end where you expect a very different ending than you get. And it ends with... Sylvester Stallone getting a chance to act his ass off. You're like, wow, he gets a speech that's like heartbreaking. Like, oh, shit, you're just killing me watching this play out. I have maintained for quite a while that, and and I may be going back on this, but that Rocky and Rambo 
were the exact same franchise in that you could watch the very first one and the very last one, and it's a pretty wonderful, personal, intimate journey of this one guy going through life. Agreed. I would definitely say the only ones really, really good are the first one and the last one. Yeah. Because two is, well, we'll get to two. It's entertaining on its own merits, but it isn't a good film. No. Um, now, here's the weird thing. This disc and uh, for First Blood 2 and First Blood 3, which I did not ask for because it is a piece of absolute trash. Thank you. It's so it's not watchable. Um, they all they, they all got a re-release recently on Blu-ray, and these are all there upgraded to 4K, but also with the Blu-rays attached. And yet, in these cases, usually it'd be like just that previous Blu-ray, and it's not. It's a totally new Blu-ray release that is questionable as fuck is sketchy and weird. Yeah. Like for one thing, the subtitles are totally wrong. Like they're talking and like, it'll go, okay, I need all you guys to go left and you guys to go right. And the subtitles will say, Hey people, you should go this way. And you guys over here should go this way. Okay, like, I, There's no reason to change that. I noticed that on Rambo too, as well. Yeah. It's really weird. It's baffling. I'm like in every single, I'm not talking occasionally. I mean, every no, line it, of dialogue is paraphrased. And I'm like, did a very poor English yeah. translator. Like, that's I've never English seen is not that. their first language. Write these. I've never seen that happen outside of dub titles. It like, feels like some, somebody translated a dubbed version. Yep. And then added the subtitles to the English version. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's weird, dude. Um, there's the only new thing here, cause other stuff have been on DVD previous releases, but this is a very different list of stuff than the Blu-ray release. The only stuff that's new is, the, which is surprising there's anything, quite frankly, is there's a two part thing that one's like 11 minutes and one is 17 minutes of Rambo takes the eighties, which is a retrospective look back at these movies. It's amusing and it, and it, it the Rambo two one's better cause it genuinely just pokes fun at it. It's like, this is really goofy stuff, <laughs> pro Reagan era shit. And and it's, I will say Rambo 2 is not anywhere near as jingoistic as it seemed at the time. I look back and I'm like, it's not really he single-handedly won Vietnam when they're like, oh, we need you. We're getting you out of prison because we've got you to go rescue POWs. Like, he goes there to rescue POWs and American is the bad guy. Yep. Like, I was like, where do we get this is totally pro? It's because Reagan basically used it as like... Like the, 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 some of the imagery of it as a very like, yeah, I'm like the Rambo presidents. And you're like, well, you're, that's not necessarily a well, good thing. So it's, be and this is why I like Rambo too still. Uh, and I was kind of like, I don't know if I'll cut that one out anymore. Is that Rambo two kind of treads the line between the cartoony might as well be hot shots mm -hmm. silliness of the third one and the super dramatic, serious first film. Yeah. So, like, you get that element of psychology. You still get to see Sylvester Sloan do some actual acting in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it is an interesting plot. It's cool. Rambo's going in to save some POWs. And a 
about at the 45 minute mark is when it goes, yeah, all that serious shit, fuck that. Or throw it out the window. It, yeah, it gets, and then just stuff starts exploding everywhere. It just gets super implausible and it becomes like, yeah, about big explosions and it, it and super ridiculous. And, and that's fine. It's well shot. Yeah. You know, it's cool uh, looking. It's George P. Cosmatos who I, I, I am debate him because I was like, I know that name. And he directed this. He directed Tombstone mm-hmm. and directed one other classic, like, boom, 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 right after another. Yeah, the cinematographer. And then never did anything. The cinematographer was Jack Cardiff, who worked with uh, Powell and Pressburger, with John Huston, with Alfred Hitchcock. He's won Academy Awards. Uh, he's considered one of the all-time greatest cinematographers. And that guy shot this movie, which admittedly surprises me because you don't look at it and go, what cinematography? Well, it's, it's, you can see a lot of where Sylvester Stallone pulled his ideas for the fourth one mm-hmm. from this movie. Yes. Just structurally, the way he moves through the camps, the way they shot it. I mean, like, sh- he learned how to shoot watching this it's movie. It's a shame that people find this movie more memorable than the first one. I definitely find the first movie more memorable than this one because it has emotional resonance. There ain't no emotional resonance to well, this the, whatsoever. the first one is a film. Yeah. This one is Sylvester Stallone's Commando. Yeah. The, I, I mean, actually, it's not as goofy as Commando because Commando is full on right from the get go. This could never happen. <laughs> Commando this, is part three. This toys <laughs> with the idea of like we're taking this seriously before it stops taking it seriously. At least I, I'm intrigued to see. I'd have to look it up. Did the cartoon come after three or after two? I, I honestly don't. Like, know. I wouldn't be surprised if it was after this one. Yeah, I don't know. This is a goofy movie, but it's well worth seeing. And once again, as I said, this is the part two. It comes with that little documentary and is has its issues. From what I've been told, both the 4K discs have issues with the set. Really? Which is interesting. You may hold off and see if there's a re-release of these uh, from Lionsgate, but apparently both of them have like actual like problem. Like one guy was like, the moment I put it in for the first time and it said, it sent me to, it said, oh, we're bringing you to where you stopped watching this before. He's like, I didn't. And he had to manually fast forward backwards to get to the beginning of huh. the movie. It would not let him start at the beginning of the movie. And the other one, they were saying, yeah, there's multiple points where it like skips for a couple seconds and stuff. Like, wow, these were rush jobs and viewing like I said at that thing with the subtitles I'm not really surprised admittedly aside from the subtitles I didn't really have any issues but yeah not with the blu-ray version which is what I was watching I still don't have a four although I will say I'm just gonna I have amended my list with Rambo you need to watch First Blood First Blood 2 and then just Rambo yeah not, not don't, don't watch three. I mean, even two. I feel like you can skip. You can if, but you're, if you're more about you want genuinely good films. Two is not a good film. No, it's but fun, it's fun at points, but it is aged badly. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't even vaguely compare to today's level of like badass action films. It was very true. You know, back then it was like, whoa, look at this huge body count. Now it's like yawn. Like, have you seen the raid? Come on, wake <laughs> up. <laughs> or the night comes for us on Netflix. Like y'all, y'all, y'all got nothing. Um, anyway, let's move on to when you did not see La Boyita. Just talking briefly about this really pretty little film originally called The Last Summer of La Boyita. And this is a uh, film comment is putting out a whole series of movies that are sort of like their ideas, Mexican films uh, or Spanish speaking films or, or like you know, Latino films that are considered to be classics. But 
like largely disappeared from availability to watch. And these are classics in the sense of when they came out, they won a bunch of awards at film festivals and then probably disappeared sure. and no one ever heard of them again. Um, this movie writes a passage drama that starts with two children, uh, like one of which is just starting to go through puberty and her younger sister, who's very sort of jealous and not understanding why her sister doesn't want to hang out with her. <laughs> and the sister's like, well, I'm going to the beach. And uh, the younger sister, who the movie's really more about, is like, well, I'm going with dad out to the ranch that we own, the wealthy family. So they own this ranch that they bought from a previous family that still lives and works the ranch for them, including their young son, who definitely there's kind of like a, you know, I mean, they're both prepubescent, but there's a like connection between the little girl and the son who works the fields very quickly, and they become friends. And it turns out the son is a hermaphrodite. Oh. Uh, and has been hiding it from absolutely everyone that he has all the genitalia of a woman, but they are sized in a way that is like you can see why they thought maybe he was a man, like it just sort of like has has both okay to some degree both or he, he is yeah he's a so he's very confused this kid but he identifies as a man and. It's an interesting story watching these two grow up and that only, ultimately that stuff, it's there, but it's not wildly important to the story. It's more mainly this cute story of these two kids who become best friends growing up in a very bucolic summer. And it's a, it's a nice little movie and people who like this sort of thing. This one is Argentinian. Uh, I would say, yeah, it, it, it's, it's less than 90 minutes. Uh, it, it's slow burn, but it's sweet and very well shot. And if you like that sort of thing, then I recommend it. Uh, let's talk about a movie I don't recommend, and I will never to this day forgive Cisco and Ebert for giving this like three and a half stars or oh, two I'm thumbs excited. up. Is Dragnet? They talked so much about how much they loved this movie. Ah. I do not know what the fuck was wrong with them. They must have been on drugs that day because I really disliked this movie. I enjoy it. Did you? Oh God! <laughs> how can you betray me like this? <laughs> Um, well, like, I, I will admit, so, so this is one of those movies like Cheech and Chong that I watched a lot as a kid. So right away, I'm coming at it where I have a hard time being honest about this film. Okay, what's the but, plot? Uh, <laughs> so basically, Joe... <sighs> is, is it Joe Friday? It's Joe Friday. So Joe Friday, who is the original character's, played, like, cousin. Yeah, here played by yeah, Dan, Dan Aykroyd. Is his cousin? Is it his cousin? I thought it was nephew? his nephew. His nephew? Okay. Yeah, so Dan played Aykroyd. by Dan Aykroyd as the straight man. And, and uh, Tom Hanks plays his partner, who's basically the Riggs crazy guy role. Yeah. And they are investigating a series of robberies mm-hmm. and disparate crimes committed by the pagan group, which is P-A-G-A-N. Yeah, like, like, an, like an, an acronym. acronym. Yeah. Like the evil so, pagans, people against goodness and normalcy. Concurrently, there is also uh, a plot where the obvious bad guy is appearing on screen. Uh, sorry, I apologize for the spoiler, but like literally... There's no way you're going to miss yeah, it. When it, you see who the actor is, you'll be like, clearly yeah, the bad who, guy. Who is leading a charge against the evil... Uh, porn trade and criminality of Los Angeles. And the two cops in the course of their investigation stumble upon a massive conspiracy and go through all the rigmarole of a TV adaptation. Like, the, what was weird about watching this is 
how much this has become a template for an entire genre of film. Mm-hmm. Like, I had no idea that this became the go-to how you adapt a cop TV show. Uh, and and really poorly. Uh, this was the go-to how you adapt a, um, a old television show and update it as a show that's kind of making fun of it, but not too much. <laughs> and that has been copied quite a few times and almost always terribly almost always terribly um i i remember when this came out i despised this movie saw it in the theater i was like i fucking hate this movie so much and this isn't because i have strong feelings of love for dragnet i mean i barely ever watched it like really it was kind of like this show is silly although i have gone back and rewatched the timothy leary episode because that one is kind of awesome so it was Um, dragnet or police story the one where they had to shoot wide shots the second half of the day because the main actor was so drunk that he couldn't really do his part. I honestly don't know. Okay. Um, I just, my biggest problem with this movie is it's just never funny. Like, not even once is this oh. movie funny. It's watching one giant, obvious clunker after another just splat on the ground and a really dumb, obvious plot. And just, I just, man, I really actively find this movie, it's not offensive. Except in the sense of it's just so poorly written. I, I will admit that the plot is way too obvious, but I actually kind of, I enjoyed the jokes. Like, like I enjoyed the fact that Dan Aykroyd refers to the, the, there's a woman who is a virgin sacrifice and he refers to her as the virgin, blah, 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 whatever her name is, up until the point where they clearly intimate he's had sex and then he's just like, oh, no, no, this is Sheila. He's like, don't you mean the virgin Sheila? The virgin Connie Swale. Connie Swale. Yeah. Who, by the way, one of the extras is 25-minute interview with her, who is um, not sure why anyone would want to see that. She wasn't like this huge yeah. actress back then. Uh, yeah. Like, you're, she's been in a, She was like 8 million ways to die and a few other movies. But, like, she apparently even is like, yeah, the script isn't good. Like, even when I saw it, I was like, this is terrible. But... No, I'll admit everything I everything I take from this movie that I really appreciate. It's just watching Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks. It's those their their performances. I mean, obviously, those guys at this point even had had like were friends. Yeah, Um, Aykroyd is playing a typically like Aspergersy type version of Joe Friday. You know, he's just very he's just to the point where Tom Hanks is playing the guy who's supposed to be a real person who is constantly gobsmacked at how ridiculously not real Joe Friday is. And yep. it's annoying. It's like, <laughs> come on, guys. Um, but if you, if you like that, there's just the facts. A promotional look at Dragnet with Ackroyd and Kanks that's 40, uh, 45, 46 minutes long. And it is unwatchable. I, I didn't even try. I To this point, I was like, usually I would try, and I was like, I fucking hate this movie right. so much. I, 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 I will. This is to give you ammo. The worst thing about this movie is there is a predominant amount of rap music in this movie where all the lyrics are spoken word lines from the movie oh and the TV God. show. Yeah. Just turn it, it is off before so the atrociously start. bad. Turn it off for the credits start because you'll have to sit through the entirety of one of those songs and, oh, my God, it's so bad. Oh, you just don't want to burn the, every print of the film. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I won't disagree with you there. The Shout Factory comes with a slipcover and all that stuff. So, I mean, they and it's a decent transfer. There's no question. So, obviously, there are people out there that really remember this film fondly. I just will never be one of them. Uh, I tell you what I will remember fondly is never going back. We got to see this A24 stoner comedy. Man, A24 wants to try it all uh, in theaters a few months back and were really surprised. 
by how much we genuinely enjoyed the living shit out of this movie. Yeah, I was really pissed because I think I had I had an obligation and I couldn't go, and that was the one that I was super psyched to see. And I was very shit. happy when you handed this movie to me. I, I remembered that you were upset you couldn't go, so I was like, oh, this one's definitely <laughs> going to Aaron when, when we get the copy, and hoping I did, and I did. I had to actually find, track down the rep and go, hey, I hear you're repping this movie. I would very much like a copy of this if, if there's still any available. Because I this is... So far, one of my favorite comedies of this year. I, I love the fuck out of it. Uh, Maya Mitchell and Cam- Camilla Marone play uh, <coughs> best friends and high school dropouts in Southern Texas who are w- w- basically spending time between working at their waitress job, which they're barely keeping, getting stoned and and deciding where the next party is. And they decide they're going to go to Galveston as a birthday present to one of them so they can just go play on the beach. But it means they're going to have to work a bunch of shifts in a, in a row in order to do that. You know right at this point already there ain't no way these girls are walking like four <laughs> doubles in a row. There's no way that's going to fucking happen. They are, in fact, rather inept, if not naively sweet. Well, they're 17. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they go broke and they get robbed and they, they like everything goes wrong. And now they got to keep from being evicted and still make it to Galveston. And it's kind of, it's like a road trip movie. That's not so, on the road. Here's what it was for me. It, it felt like a Cheech and Chong movie, except instead of just being a collection of skits, it was this kind of naturalistic indie plot where you actually cared about the characters wrapped around it. Because that whole idea of, oh, shit, we spent our rent money, our roommates spent their rent money, and we have a week to get rent, but we're still going on vacation. Like that's That feels like the plot out of that kind of a kooky movie. But it never really dwells delves into set pieces until the no. very end. It's just kind of an honest, sincere story. And it happens to have the most honest and real interpretation I've ever seen of what it's like to do too many edible uh, <laughs> like brownies. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's right. That, that, that's accurate. You, you do you. <laughs> I mean, l- like you said, it really is kind of naturalistic. And yet at the same time, laugh out loud funny. It treads this line that had to have been difficult to shoot of like getting between these scenes that that could have easily ended up just feeling like little sketch comedy bits in a Harold and Kumar film or being the other side, which would have been like just kind of dry and maybe even kind of sad indie film stuff about these two girls who can't get their shit together. And instead they end up merging these parts of each into something that genuinely feels kind of new. In any other hands, this would be a sad, painful movie about, poor people with shitty lives. Right. And instead it's watching two friends really go on this sort of magical journey and kind of grow. Yeah. A little, <laughs> a little, a little, but a hey, little. you gotta take what you can get <laughs> yeah. when, are, when you're that bad. Or, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. But so funny thing though, I showed this to my wife who had a very different interpretation about it. Huh. And her biggest takeaway was, and I quote, they must have really shitty families. So maybe the humor isn't to all like it was, it's definitely not. She very much took it in that this is a serious and sad movie. You have to not get frustrated watching people fuck up because they're, they're teenagers and too interested in smoking pot. Like, I'm like, yeah, that could have been my life at at that age. I was like, yeah, I was was a fuck up. That that." was the thing that got to me was their, their handling of small town, poor Texas Mm -hmm. is 
it is perfect. It is exactly what I have seen. I know those people. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't I am not as familiar with that, but I but I feel like I've seen it represented in enough <laughs> movies. What is the film about the family that's living in the hotel that came out last oh, year? Oh, uh with yeah, with Will with Defoe. Will Defoe. But it feels like this it's could, like Florida, I mean, that's Florida but it feels like this could be in, like in that same town in another story going right? on. Yeah, absolutely know? correct. <laughs> like, like that—that's all the endearing, serious people trying to get ahead, yeah. and then here are the teenagers just getting high. <laughs> uh, there's a one deleted scene. There's an audio commentary with the writer-director Augustine Frizzell, the producers, and uh, and the two lead actresses. There's a featurette called "Art Imitates Life," never going back, and there is a blooper reel. Um, this is really, if you've not seen this and you like stoner, ever have liked stoner comedies or if you've ever liked coming of age films that are comedies, yeah. I, I can't recommend this any higher. This is, is just terrific and charming. Our last film is not really a film. It's a pretty astonishing set. Um, and they only sent me the 12 DVD version of this Robin Williams uncensored, uh, from Time Life, there's a 22-disc version of this with double as much shit. Uh, and this is straight up all you're ever going to need other than theatrically theatrical narrative films from Robin Williams. Yeah, this, so I have to admit, this is a very confusing set for me because this is the kind of thing that I never really considered just people doing until mm-hmm. now. But it makes sense. It's essentially... All of the appearances, mm-hmm. really, that he did. It's a bunch of his stand-up, well, like, three... Not all of them. All uh, they could get rights for. Well, I'm, really. I'm assuming when you have the 22-disc one, it's just the rest. Well, it's like, but uh, it's like a bunch of HBO comedy specials. It's the six best of Mork and Mindy well, episodes. Let me, let me just say what's on it. Yeah. Uh, five HBO stand-up specials. Off the Wall from 78, An Evening with Y. Robin Williams in 83, An Evening at the Met, which a lot of people argue is his best, in 1986, Live on Broadway at 2002, and Weapons of Self-Destruction from 2009. There is, and like some of this stuff is on, this is the list of the 22 disc, right? So some of the stuff you're going to go, I didn't see that. Well, that's because <laughs> I was on those other two uh, sets. Um, his full MGM Grand Garden stand-up. Uh, from 2007 in the Montreal stop on his last tour in 2012 and a conversation on stage between Williams and David Steinberg. There's his best TV talk show and late night appearances, which clearly is more. These are the only ones we could get the rights to because uh, there ain't no David Letterman in on here. And I know some <laughs> of those were great. Um, it's the with Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Tonight Show with Jay Leno, The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Graham Norton Show, Saturday Night Live and more. There's rare, never before seen clips, including early stand up, raw footage from promo shoots, uh, a toast to Richard Pryor that he did as Mrs. Doubtfire and much more. There are brand new interviews with friends and family, of which there were many. Robin Williams was deeply loved in the community, for sure. Um, 11 episodes of Mork and Mindy total on the limited sets, only six, but... I don't really need the whole. Yeah, yeah. I'm like that's cool, including the two part pilot. There's James Lipton, James Lipton's uh, inside the actor's studio where he did a two episode, like ninety minute uh, interview with him, which I have seen. I saw when it first came out. It's essential watching. It's fantastic. You know. Um, it's just like Robin Williams, always a guy who like the moment you put a mic in front of him, he's like, you can't catch him. I was supposed to say, it's interesting that I realized something that I never knew before this week when watching this set, which is that Robin Williams is a little too active for me. (laughs) He would be exhausting to be around. Like I, I love his film appearances. Uh, uh, Actually, I think most all of them, but 
I do not like his stand-up. It really? It was off-putting for me, because just he's so high energy. Oh, I, I actually prefer his stand-up to his movies, so wow. <laughs> I go the other way. Um, there's a collection of all his USO shows that have been filmed, which is crazy. I didn't even know that existed. Uh, hours and hours that. and hours of bonus features that are behind tour stops, promos, behind-the-scenes footage. Uh, lots of stuff, lots of featurettes. There's, and then, like, uh, there's a 24 color full page, uh, f- uh 24 page full color mem- book here that comes with it in a collector's box as well. And the big highlight of this is, which I had not seen yet, I've been meaning to watch, and I'm so glad I watched the whole thing, is the HBO documentary Robin Williams Come Inside My Mind, which is, man, I, I fucking cried at the end of that thing. I tell you what, I, didn't get to that. It's so good. It's just, and I believe it's already on Netflix. I'm not 100% okay. sure, but if it's not, it's, I, I know that there was supposed to be some sort of deal with that. Um, it's really good and just, just a great look at his entire, where, how he got started, what his home life was like, what happened along the way, what his travails with drugs were like, and how those all, I mean, those wrapped up when John Belushi died, yeah. where he was like, oh, wow, um, reality alert. <laughs> um, this is a great set. Yeah, if you are a Robin Williams fan, this is essential buying. Yeah, it is literally the comedy nerd dream. Yeah, it's it, it's like a- it, as much as it's not my cup of tea. This is an amazing set for someone who's into this kind of thing. Well, that is it for this week's digital noise. Thank you, Aaron, once again for joining me. My pleasure. Always fun getting a chance to talk to you about all these movies on Sunday nights. <laughs> and uh, I'll be back in another week uh, uh, with another digital noise. Woo woo.